John 17. Let's stand together and read the chapter. If you're physically able tonight, you can sit if you're not. But John 17, Jesus spoke these words and lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have surely they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, through your name, those you have given me, that they may be as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those that will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that we may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am and that you may behold my glory, that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I declared to them your name and will declare it that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, as we take a few minutes tonight to consider this prayer of yours, that you cried out to, to your Father in heaven, Lord, so instructive for us that are disciples. So may our hearts be open tonight to your truth. I thank you so much for every precious person that is here tonight, those that are watching online at home. Lord, may we be like you by the time we have in your presence tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
We are rapidly coming to the end of this series, Being Discipled by Jesus. A series where we're looking not at the words that Jesus spoke to the multitudes, not the words that he spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but those specific times he sat down with his disciples and he taught them how to be light and salt in a lost and dying world. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus told them to get on the narrow path and stay on and and again live it out in the community and the culture in which God had placed them. We looked at some passages in the middle of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 10, Matthew 16, where he called the many disciples and narrowed them down to 12 apostles, where he took them up to Caesarea Philippi and had a basic retreat with them and and found out who men say that I am and then challenged them what it really was to be a disciple, to take up their cross, to deny themselves and to follow him. And for the last few weeks, we've been at the very end of Jesus' ministry. Here in John 13 through 17, something that Bible students call the upper room discourse. Because it's a teaching that Jesus gave, again, to just the 12 as they sat in that upper room after partaking of the Passover meal, after Jesus institutes communion. It's this discussion they were having together. And we saw in John 13, he told us that our disciples, hey, you've got to understand, greatness is service. Greatness is service. The world says greatness is when you make more money than other people. Greatness is when other people serve you. Jesus says, no way, Jose. Well, he wouldn't actually say that. But he says, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. Greatness is serving. And he demonstrated that when he took off his robe, took a towel, and washed the disciples' feet. We've learned by looking at this passage that really what's so important as disciples is it's not so much how you start. Well, that's good. But it's how you finish. Because what's the real difference between Judas and Peter? These two disciples that both denied the Lord, that both went separate ways, that that, that both did horrible things. What's the difference? Well, Peter repented. He jumped off the boat and swam back to the Lord. And when the Lord said, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. And was restored to his relationship with the Lord. Judas was sorry that he had done it. But there was no repentance, no turning to the Lord. And the friend, it really matters tonight. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been involved with. But the Lord would say to you, what are you going to do from this night forward? Where are you going to go going forward in your walk? It's huge how you finish. We learned in chapter 14, he shared with them why he had to go. And their hearts were troubled. They were discouraged. They were bummed. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to my father's house in which are many mansions. And I'm going to prepare a place, what? for you that's right god is preparing a place for us in heaven to be with him and how we have to run that through our puny brains as we go through trials as we go through struggles as we're faced with temptation we are going to heaven oh it's so important to remember then in chapter 15 we saw that jesus said now you need to abide in me the conversation took place as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. They would have walked by the temple on the side of the temple gates would have been this symbol of Jewish national pride, the vine and the branches put on by Herod the Great and Jewish families would come by and add ornate jewels and more gold to this symbol and Jesus saw that just no doubt illuminated in that full moon that time of year and he used it to teach a lesson. You've got to abide in me. Just like the vine or or, or the branches have to abide in the vine. So you as disciples, you've got to cling to me. Stay with me. You have no power of yourself. You've got to abide as a disciple. Such an important lesson as a disciple. How do we abide? Well, last week we looked at John 16. And we saw that we abide as we are filled with the Spirit. 
He's used most of John 16 to talk about the importance of the Spirit, what the Spirit came to do, and how we can be empowered through God's Spirit for life and ministry. Well, we come to one more secret of life and ministry that Jesus shared in this upper room discourse as we get to John 17. And that was we see, as a disciple, the need to spend time in prayer. The need to spend time in prayer. And by the way, this is the real Lord's Prayer. You know, most people call the, 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 the chapter in, in Matthew chapter 6, the chapter of the song that we sang uh, during our missions offering tonight is based on Matthew chapter 6. They say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. But when you really get technical about it, what Matthew 6 is, is it's a response to a question by the disciples. The disciples were blown away by Jesus. No doubt blown away by his ability to heal. No doubt blown away by his ability to teach. But they never asked him, teach us to preach. Teach us to heal. You know, how do you do that? In Jesus' name. They never asked that. They wanted to know, man, your prayer life is something else. How can we pray? And so in Matthew 6, we have Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. But it's not really the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples being taught to pray. If you want an example of Jesus praying... The best example is right here in John chapter 17. It's an example of Jesus' personal prayer life. And one of the things I love about reading through John 17 is it gives me a real insight of what Jesus is doing right now. You Bible students know that one of the things that Jesus does in heaven is he makes intercession for you and I. He's praying for us. And what does that look like? What does it look like Jesus in heaven praying for you and praying for me? I don't know. But I think we have a real indication here in John 17 of what Jesus looks like and sounds like as he prays for you and as he prays for me. This prayer in John 17 is a great picture and it's also a great pattern. Notice this very simple outline of John 17. It'll be up on the screen for you. We see in the first few verses that Jesus prays for himself. He's praying for himself. He's praying for the things that he needs to to finish this last step, this last season in in the life and the ministry that God had given to him. And then he spends the rest of the, the prayer praying for others, praying for his disciples that he had poured into and ministered to over that three and a half year period of time. And then at the very end, he's praying for those that would come to faith through their ministry. So in essence, he's praying for us because we down the line, down the line, down the line have come to the Lord through the ministry of the apostles he prays for himself and he prays for others and bible students i want you to notice that i want you to notice that because sometimes we're taught sometimes we feel like it's unspiritual to pray for yourself you know if you're real spiritual real spiritual well then you would only pray for the needs of orphans in uganda you know if you were really close to god You would never pray for yourself. Every time you pray, Lord, pouring in for other people. And we can kind of think that, oh, if I really knew God, I wouldn't pray for myself. Can I just say, that's crazy. Jesus knew God. Hello, he was God. And here he is praying for himself. He prayed for himself. And if Jesus did, guess what? You need to too. So do I. I need help. I need God's wisdom. I am so lost without it. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading 
through the, through the book of Joshua. I was just taking some time other than reading through the, the one-year Bible, reading some more stuff. I was reading just through the book of Joshua. And, and, I, and I was so struck by how it seems like how well the children of Israel did entering into the promised land was directly tied to whether or not they prayed. You guys remember the story? After their great victory at Jericho, they come to the city of Ai. And they just see this little town and, and Joshua, the leadership, says, ah, we don't have to even send all of our troops. Just send a few of them over there to, you know, just a little puny town, Ai. And, and they get wiped out. They, they get slapped around by Ai. And, and I think, what happened? They didn't pray. A couple chapters later, the Gibeonites show up. You remember the story. Man, they thought, we're doomed. Every nation that, that Israel faces, they, they take down. So let's trick them. Let's get moldy bread. Let's get sour wine. And we'll come and say, well, we're not from the promised land. We're from a long, long way away. We're not one of those nations God told you to kill. Not us. No, we're from a long way away. So bless us. Enter into a covenant with us. And Joshua, the elders, they looked at the moldy bread. Ew, gross. They saw the spoiled wine and they thought, they must be from a long way away. And they fell. They made a mistake. They find themselves being tied to having to go and defend them. Why? They didn't pray. Do you think God would have said, hello, don't pay attention to the moldy bread. Hello, those are the ones. Of course he would have. Of course he would have. In fact, the one time, you know, early on, you see Joshua going to the Lord and praying, what happens? God shows up and, and, and no doubt gives Joshua a battle plan for Jericho. Walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And then, here it goes, blow the trumpets. Can you imagine being Joshua going back to the men? Uh, I know I'm new. <laughs> I know I just took over this whole thing. But this is what we do. Man, crazy, but it was the Lord. Because Joshua's hanging out, he's praying. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying. You see, prayerlessness, listen to me, prayerlessness in our lives shows an overconfidence in our ability to get things done. Prayerlessness shows an overconfidence in our ability to get things done. I don't need God, I don't need to take care of this, I will figure it out. And friends, we need to take that overconfidence and throw it in the trash where it belongs. Jesus prayed for himself. How much more do you and I need to be on our faces? The real difference, though, the real difference, if we want to be honest, probably, between Jesus' prayer and John 17 and our prayers, the difference is not that he prayed for himself, because for some of us, that's, that's all we pray for. The difference is Jesus also prayed for others. And both are necessary as a disciple. I want to pray and, and, and lift my needs and say, God, I'm desperate without you, but then I need to pray for others too. Prayer is such a great opportunity to reach the world through your prayers. You know, you don't have to go to Costa Rica. It's, I can't afford a plane ticket. And, uh, you don't have, you, you, tonight, tonight you can go in your room, close the door, and you can partner with Phil and Rebecca McKay in the ministry down there in Costa Rica. Tonight, because it's a spiritual battle going on, not a physical battle. You're like, oh, I'd love to go down to Argentina with the Williamsons, but I just can't, and they don't like me. No, they're just, they like everybody. But you, you're, you're thinking, this, what am I going to do? Pray, pray, get on your knees tonight and say, God, I pray the ground would be ready and prepared for, for when Danny and Michelle get down there that, man, the gospel would go forth and the, and the harvest would be great. You can start partnering tonight. You don't have to go anywhere. You can stay in Vista CA and start partnering with missionaries all over the world. You might not know what to do about your son or your daughter. 
that's walked away from God. What do you do? Friend, you pray. You pray. And that's not just pastor talk. You know, sometimes I get in a counseling session and someone pours out their heart and all this is, it's, just, it's, it's rough stuff. And I say, hey, why don't we just, why don't we pray? And sometimes the look I get is like, is that all you got? <laughs> well, you're right. I should have booked with Pastor Rob instead. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. But no, no, in seriousness. Sometimes I, I get the feeling like, oh, is that all that's left? Is, that, is, is it that bad yet? <laughs> Friends, the issues in people's hearts are spiritual issues. And you can talk till you're blue in the face. I can give you some handy-dandy, cool little saying. That won't matter, a hill of beans. But the spiritual battle takes place in the realm of prayer. As you partner with God and do ministry again through the avenue of prayer. Jesus prayed for himself and he prayed for others. But beyond that simple lesson, of the fact that Jesus prayed to consider what he prayed, to me, is so important for us as disciples. What he prayed for, because what he talked to God about, what he was doing, and what he wanted to see happen, it challenges me as what God wants me to be about as his disciple as well. Notice this, five things tonight. Oh, again, I know, as I said this with each of these chapters, you Bible students, I know, I know. Oh, we could, do, we could spend weeks just in John 17. I know that, I understand that. That's not the point of this series. The point is to get an overview to see, hey, what would they have come away with listening to Jesus as he shared with us the first time? Not what they would have meditated on later, but what they got that first night hearing him say these words. So I, I want to just draw your attention to five things that Jesus prays for that really challenges me as a disciple. First one, note takers, write it down. Jesus glorified the Father. Jesus glorified the Father. Look at verse one again. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus' life, friends, was all about glorifying the Father. The things he said, the things he did, all of it had one purpose, to bring the Father glory. That's what Jesus did. Now the question is, who's getting the glory for my life and your life? I mean, as we learned on the Sermon on the Mount, do people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? That's good. Or do they see you and think, wow, they are so awesome. They are so radical. Do they start singing your praises? Friends, the reality is it shouldn't be hard for God to get glory from your life. Why do you say that? Because 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the first chapter, Paul says, but God has chosen, you know it, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. You see, you and I are part of this family, part of the equation. And God told you why he picked you. Because you're foolish. That's why. That is why. That is why. And the more you embrace that and understand, you don't have to act foolish, but to just embrace that and go, God didn't get a good deal when he got me. I got the good deal. 
when you embrace that, God's going to get the glory from your life. I mean, people, people say to me, all, it's amazing what people actually say to pastors, but people say to me all the time, why does God bless your life? With this confused look on their face. I'll be speaking at a camp or at a conference and whether it's another pastor, why does God bless you? And they start asking me questions. Who's your dad? Uh, a drug dealer currently in prison. Oh, that's not good. Oh, where'd you go to school? What seminary did you graduate from? Oh, I went to CCBC. Two years of the finest Bible education on the, on the planet. What? CCBC? What? What church were you trained at? Vista. <laughs> yeah! Vista! That was it. Where? Vista! Who is your pastor? That guy right there. Right there. Ariet. Sorry, Pastor Rob. They're not impressed. They, they just go, well then, ha, hey, ha, Why? Because I'm a foolish thing that God chose to use. That's great. You see, I serve a great God. I serve a great God. I'm loved by a God that's so great, His greatness consumes my weakness and my foolishness, and His glory actually shines through. You see, embrace that. The problem is we love people to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We want others to think of us as well, and when they don't, we're offended. We try to convince them that we're something. Just drop the act. You're weak and a fool. Merry Christmas. So am I. So am I. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. Who's getting the glory from your life? Who is it, friends? It should be the Lord. It needs to be the Lord, disciples. It needs to be the Lord. Jesus glorified the Father. Secondly, note takers. Secondly, Jesus finished the work which God gave him to do. Look at verse four. He says, I've glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus says, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Now, this, this challenges me in a couple of ways. Number one, ask yourself, what is the work God has given you to do? Not the work man has given you to do. I mean, we all have jobs and responsibilities that we have to do, things that we have to get done. But what has God put you on this planet to do? That to me is one of the joys and excitements of Christianity. God calls this thing called the church a body. And we have different roles and different responsibilities. And one of the exciting things of Christianity is to discover what has God called you to do? I'm constantly challenged in this because you know, I look at the scriptures and one of the things that's always challenged me is that Jesus never seems to be accused of being busy. I mean, he, he accomplished more than we ever will. But you never read of someone saying, oh, 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 I know, you, I know you got just two minutes, but can I have 30 seconds of those two minutes? And I point that out because people say that to me all the time. And the sad thing is, it's not that it's not true. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, no, I have a minute and a half. And yes, you can have 30. Go, 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 speak. <laughs> and then I think, is that, is that right? Is that okay? Lord, what have you given me to do? Now, I don't, again, I don't think that means that when you're doing what God has called you to do, you won't be busy. You know, I, I, people say, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? What verse is that? Well, uh, 
Listen, I know in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that God won't tempt you beyond what you're able, but in all ways will give you a way of escape. Friends, God seems to pile on more than I can take all the time, so I'll cry, help, uncle, you, I need you. But there's a difference between being busy and having to be dependent on the Lord and being burdened. See, Jesus said, come to me, all of you that are burdened and heavy laden and what? I will give you rest. What is the work that God has given you to do? The next question then is, have you done it? Have you finished it? Have you done what God is calling are you? Are you doing what God has called you to do? Aren't you glad Noah finished the work that God had given him to do? I am. I mean, how many times do you think Noah was like, did? No, no. This is too big. How big? What boat? Ah! How many of us have been like, that's it. That's it. I can't take it, Lord. You're hard to work for. I'm glad he finished the boat. And if you don't get it, all of us tonight should be glad he finished the boat. No boat, no you. Understand how that goes? Aren't you glad Jesus finished the work that God gave him to do? Oh, man. I'm so glad they're in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed, Lord, is there any other way? That God didn't say, yeah, let's let Jason try it on his own. Okay. (laughs) No. No. I'm so glad Jesus finished the work that God gave him to do. Friends, as a disciple, we need to learn from Jesus. What has he called you to do? Are you doing it? Have you finished the work that God has given you to do? Are you in that work, in your life that God has called you to do? Are you playing the role that God has for you in the body of Christ? Jesus glorified the Father. He finished the work that God gave him to do. Thirdly, Jesus manifests God's name to the disciples. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, it says, I've manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now you have known all things which you have given me are from you. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to the disciples. To the Jewish people, a name was more than something that parents thought was trendy. A name represented a whole personality or a character. And when it's applied to the Lord, we understand the importance of the word and the, and the name the Lord puts onto it. David wrote in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some will trust in chariots and some will trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. I love that. It's kind of like we were talking about on, on Sunday, for those of you that were here and not at the men's retreat. I mean, God calls us to do some crazy stuff sometimes. He wants you as a man, as a woman of faith, to obey Even when it doesn't make sense, friends. He will do that. He wants you to do what? Wait. Remember? Wait. He wants you to wait even when you don't like waiting. Even when it seems impossible that he'll ever come through. And the way you get through that is, again, you understand the name of the Lord, the character of the Lord. You weigh the impossibility of your circumstances with the possibility that God might not actually keep his word. And when you do that, there's no, there's no comparison because you're relying and trusting on the character of God and who he is. And it's this character, this, nat- this nature that as a disciple, I want to get out to the world around me. Jesus manifested. That word means to show forth. He manifested who God was to a lost and dying world. You've heard it said before, you want to know what God the Father is like? You just look at what Jesus was like. 
We sometimes get into our minds that Father God is the grumpy old man and Jesus is meek and mild, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Swedish Jesus, you know? It's not, that's not true. They're the same. What is God like? What was Jesus like? Jesus was loving, compassionate, merciful. Yes, he stood for truth and justice. But as good and as kind as can be. Jesus showed us what the Father was like. The name, the nature of God, especially in going to the cross. Jesus going to the cross, we see, we see how God really feels about sin. It's not something to be tolerated like we're so often tempted to do. Something to be pointed out in other people, but never in myself. No, sin is ugly. Sin ripped Jesus apart. And it's something that you and I need to repent of and run from. We see how God really feels about sin, and we see how God really feels about you. Because he was willing to take your place and endure that beating and that shame and that torture because he loved you so much. You see, Jesus just shines forth. This is what God is like. And as a disciple, just like Jesus shone that forth to a lost and dying world, that's what you and I need to do. And and there's the challenge. You know, I've always been challenged by the fact that Paul, as he writes Many of, the, many of the books in the New Testament, he, he says to the churches, you imitate God like I am, you imitate Christ like I imitate him. Just follow me. Just follow me in my relationship with God if you want to know how to walk with God. I remember as a young Christian, just like, wow, kind of prideful, Paul. Walk like I walk. So amazing. And, and then I'd read it again a little later and just kind of go, oh, I could, I could never do that. I remember one day when the Lord was just like, why not? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you walk with the Lord like people are supposed to walk with God? Pastor Jason? <laughs> Shouldn't you? That, now, don't misunderstand me with that. I don't, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. No, 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 no. Just talk to my wife afterwards. She'll tell you. But shouldn't part of demonstrating what it is to have a real, genuine walk with God to show how it is to repent when you've done something wrong? We should have real, genuine walk with God. We shouldn't be looking at our kids and saying, well, this is what you do, but but don't live like I live. We shouldn't be coming along people we're trying to disciple and saying, well, I I haven't really been, but but this is what you should do. No, no, listen, you need to demonstrate it in your own life personally. You need to shine forth who God is, how God wants to relate as a disciple, as a disciple. This is heavy stuff for disciples to shine forth who Jesus is, to manifest his name just like Jesus did to the disciples. The fourth thing, Jesus says, I've given them your word. Look at verse eight. He says, for I've given to them the words which you have given to me and they received them and they've known surely that I came forth from you and they've believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours and all are, all are and all and something, and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, they were in the world. I kept them in your name. Those you've given me, I've kept. And none of them is lost except for the son of perdition. The scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they may have my 
my joy fulfilled in them. And I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus saying, Lord, all these disciples you've given to me, I've kept them. Uh, They've matured, they've grown, I've kept them safe. And Lord, I want to keep going, but it's all wrapped up into one thing. Jesus was faithful to give them the word. Now there's two types of words he was giving them here in the text. In verse 8, the word there is, is rima. And it means the spoken word. The right word for the right moment. In verse 14, the word is logos, and it means the written word, the the, the Bible as we think of it. And what I want you to see, precious ones, is is Jesus gave people both. I mean, he knew how to teach a study. Oh, man, he could teach a study. What did they say to him? They said, we've heard nobody talk like this. Nobody's able to communicate. He was a great Bible teacher, and he, on occasion, would sit down and give them studies and Bible sermons. But if you notice, not only did he give them the word in bulk, but he often had the right word in the right situation. He had that right word for Nicodemus. He had that right word for the woman at the well. He had that right word for that that, that man that was, you know, with a withered hand. He had the right word for them in the situation. And as a disciple, I need to learn from that. That I need to be in this book. And then as a disciple, I need to be giving it out. Both in bulk. Hey, there's times to teach a study. There's there's times to come out and teach a study and give the word. But I also need that rima for people. That word in individual situations. And how do we do that? Because I'm not Jesus. I don't know what everyone's going through and what their situation they're facing in that moment. So guess what? I need to be around Jesus. I need to spend time in his presence. I need to be filled with his spirit. And as I'm interacting with people, what I'm praying is, Lord, I don't have time for a sermon for this guy. I don't have time for a Bible study with this gal. But what is that word, that rima that you want to give them? Because friends, we need to get this in our hearts and minds, disciples. It's not your opinions. It's not your experiences that people need They need the word of God. They need the word. It is that that will sanctify them. It is that that will keep them. It's that your kids need. It's that your friends need. They need the word in bulk. Yes. And the rima, the word in season. Boy, for that, I need Jesus. Don't don't you see how much we need Jesus as disciples? How much it's foolish to say, oh, I got this, Lord. I can just, no way. I need Jesus as a disciple. Finally tonight, the fifth thing that Jesus I see in this is praying is he, he sent the disciples out. Verse 18, he says, As you have sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also all who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, gang. That they may be one, as you and the Father, I and me, and you, I and you, and they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you are sent that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, and they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me, and you have loved them as, I have, as you have loved me. Father, I desire also 
whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus finally prays, Hey, Father, you sent me out. Now I'm sending them out. He's prayed that, Lord, I've glorified your name. As disciples, we need to glorify his name. He's finished the work that God gave him to do. We need to finish, discover, and finish the work. Be about the work God wants us to do. Jesus manifested God's name to the disciples. We need to be manifesting God's name to the world. Jesus gave out the word. We need to give out the word. And then Jesus, Jesus found other disciples to send out. And I want you just to think that through for a minute before we're done tonight. Jesus took a risk with these disciples. I mean, a risk. I know we love to glorify the holy apostles, but we've talked about it enough. Man, these guys, John, wanting to set people on fire. (laughs) Burn them, Lord. No, (laughs) not a good idea, James and John. Peter, I don't even know the man. Uh, Thomas doesn't even believe he exists. There's some issues with these disciples. There's some issues. But Jesus sends them out. Sends them out. Taking a big chance. He took a big chance with you and me by that, <laughs> for that matter too, didn't he? Huge chance on you and me. I take that to heart. As one that wants to partner with Jesus in not only being a disciple, but listen, I'm almost done, but also being a disciple maker in this generation, in this culture, this community that God has placed us in. Sometimes we have to take chances on people. In some churches, in some churches, the only people, the only disciples that would have been allowed to serve would have been Judas. I mean, really think that through. He was the only one with good education. He's the only one that had it all together. He would have been the only one that qualified to serve in a lot of churches. That's not good. That's not good. Jesus wouldn't have had Peter and John and all of these other guys. Oh, but, but we need to do background checks on people and really vet them before they're allowed to serve in ministry. In certain ministries, sure. Children's ministry, of course. <laughs> we want to protect those kids. Absolutely. But I know it's my heart. I know it's Pastor Rock. You want to serve? You want to show up and join us at 7.30 on Sunday morning and just pray that God would pour out His Spirit during the day, during that Sunday? You are welcome to come. Well, you don't know my background. Don't care. Jesus will take care of that. You come and pray. You come partner in what God's doing in the ministry here. You, you want to join my wife, ladies, at 8.30 and pray in my office for what's going on here during first service. We're not going to investigate. I've been married three times then you need to pray. Come and pray. God, spend more time with Jesus. That would be great. Pray. You see, you ministry leaders, you guys that are leaving and starting churches, don't be afraid to take chances on people. I remember early on in the ministry in Paris, I just, I got burned by so many young guys that were serving there. I mean, I'd see these young guys and when they weren't getting a paycheck, they were so helpful and so amazing. And then 
And then we'd start to pay them because I, I needed them full time. And, and they'd lose their mind just one after another. The last straw was that this young man, he was about 19, he comes to me and he's like, yeah, I got to confess something. What? I've been messing around with multiple girls in our youth ministry. Oh, I have never some, this is true, I've never come so close to killing someone as I did that day. Jason Yetz had to physically hold me back. I was like, what? How did, I was so angry at him, rightfully so. That afternoon I called Pastor Rob and I was like, how do you do this? How do you work with young guys? Knuckleheads. How do you do that? I'm, and I just declared to him, I'm never doing it again. Never again. Just seasoned ministers. That's all I want from now on. <laughs> Pastor Rob graciously just said, if you don't work with knuckleheads, how do you think I ever found you? That's what he said. Oh, see, from the bottom of my heart, I know a lot of you, you, you lead home Bible studies, do things. I'm not saying that you, you put people in positions before God has raised them up for that. That's not what I'm saying. But you give people a chance to partner in the ministry. And you know what? Yes, yes, occasionally there will be a Judas. There will be. Jesus had one. You think, you think you're above that? No, no, no. There will be Judases. But if you don't do it, you'll miss out on Peter and John and James. You see, David in the wilderness, God sent to him every man that was in debt, depressed. (laughs) What an army. And they hung out and they spend time with David and they become David's mighty men. And I see these disciples who, we've talked about it before, we don't have time tonight, but I mean, these guys weren't the scholars of Israel. If they were, they would have been rabbis. They wouldn't have been fishing. The fact they were fishermen mean they had failed the test. Understand that. They had failed the test to become scholars of the law and and the job everybody wanted in Israel. They had failed the test. They were tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, you follow me and I'm going to make you become fishers of men. And I'm not Jesus and neither are you. But we too can learn from our Lord and Savior and come alongside guys and gals who are sinners and failures just like you and me and let what happened in my heart and your heart happen in their hearts as well. That they, like you, would learn to become a disciple. That they would learn to emulate Jesus as they watch you emulate Jesus. As they watch you, yeah, occasionally fail and say, man, I blew it. And you ask for forgiveness. You see, Jesus made 12 disciples. 11 made it through. (laughs) And he wants you that are disciples to do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Because he's still on the move. He's still on the move. Father, I thank you so much. These these so important things you ministered to your disciples. And Lord, I know there's so much we skipped over in John 17. I know there's so much meat there, Father, but I just pray the things we did get to focus on tonight. That you would drive them into our hearts and our minds. 
that God, we'd pray like you prayed. We'd pray for ourselves. We need it so desperately, Lord. Help us, help us, Lord. But we wouldn't just pray for us. We'd pray for others and partner in the ministries. God, I pray like Jesus, we'd glorify your name. That we wouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but we'd realize, Lord, you are, we are knuckleheads that you saved by your grace and your greatness overshadows so much of who we are. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'd magnify your name. I pray that we'd give out your word. And I pray, Lord, like you took a chance on 12 guys. And as for many of us, other people took a chance on us. Father, we'd look around, as Pastor Rob says quite a bit, we'd look around in our sphere of influence to younger men, younger women, whatever we may be, that we can come alongside and see what happened in us happen in them and partner in this wild thing you call ministry. Because, Lord, you're still on the move. You're still wanting to work in our culture, in our community, and I pray that you would. God, until we see your face in the clouds, which I pray is soon. (laughs) Until we see your face, I pray we'd be about your business. Busy for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight that maybe doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. That God, right now would be the moment that they would be reconciled to you. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're a believer, man, you're just praying right now. You're just praying. But maybe you, you just sense you're distant, you're far from God. But you've sent something in your heart tonight. Maybe you had in your mind that God was this angry, grumpy old man that was just upset at you all the time. Maybe you got in your mind that the church was no place for you because you've done too many things. Friend, I hope you hear the heart of God to you tonight. It's so not true. God loves you more than any human ever will. And he, well, it's his specialty to take the foolish things and the weak things of this world and pour his spirit into them and confound the wise with what he does in and through your life. But he won't force himself upon you. You need to say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And Romans 10 says you can by believing in your heart and then confessing with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. If you believe and you're ready tonight to say, God, I give you my heart, well, then all that's left is a confession of faith. The words don't so much matter, I think, is the heart that would pray something like this. Lord, I believe in you. And I want what you did on the cross to count for me. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come into my heart and come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. For Lord, this night, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name.